everyone. I'm Victoria. And I'm Marty. And together we are the MVC Podcast, episode 22. Marty Victoria Conversations. <laughs> I forgot how to do this. Um, it's been yeah, a while. We, I, we used to always say we're back every episode, but we really are back this time. It has been two full months since we did one of these podcasts. Gasp. And I mean, why we're not, we weren't quitting, we weren't sick of it or whatever. We, uh, we just, we were busy and a lot of stuff was going on and it just wasn't good timing for it. And I think we both do this for fun. And when we don't have enough time for it or whatever, we, you know, we're not going to always be able to do it every week, but I think we don't, we're not, we're not quitting. We, I think we can <laughs> keep, keep going, right? B? Absolutely. Yeah. So like we already said, we're just kind of busy and now we're in less busy, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Now we have a little less going on um, than the last couple of weeks. Maybe back well, to normal. Back to normal versus yeah. like. Uh, so V, then that leads well into what were we busy doing? What are you up to this week? What have you been up to? Um, so uh, last two months I've been up to a lot, but if I just had to um, talk about this week. So my project, so I've been tech leading a project at Google and we are now feature complete, which means the basic functionality works. And we are trying to get enough polish such that we can do an experiment. So that's sort of like the first public release is to enable this feature for a percent of Google.com traffic. So you mean one percent? Yeah, like or yeah, a percentage. So it okay. will probably be some because this feature doesn't trigger on all of searches, it's probably going to be some calculation that equates to 1% of traffic, yeah. So um, it's uh, it's always funny, like, trying to launch things. Like, you think at first that getting feature complete, you're, like, almost there, but launching is just really hard. Like, um, there are a lot of bugs. There are a lot of annoying bugs. It always takes longer than you think to fix the bugs. Um, because if, even if you find, like, uh, maybe you find, like, 15 janky bugs, or it's like, ah, oh, well, the transition didn't quite do what I expected it to do. Or, like, um, you know, if you have an animation or something with your feature, and it's like, well, that animation kind of flickers sometimes if we refresh the page too many times. You know, something like that. Those sorts of bugs can matter. And it's not like... It's not like um, fixing bugs are necessarily easier or faster than writing features. So it's sort of like if you have like 15 bugs that um, you need to fix before you can launch, that's still like quite a bit of work left. It's not, it's, um, I would say it's pro pretty comparable to like 15 little features that you're trying to implement. Because a lot of times too, like the bugs that you find you didn't find before because you didn't have a test for it and it's a really hard bug to test. So then you have to figure out how do I write a test for this and um, all that sort of stuff. Um, testing on like different browsers and whatnot and why is this thing not working on iOS and stuff like that. So anyway. Well, well MV, uh, like it's not only that it's a lot of work, but I would add that it's, uh, you don't always know how much work it'll be. Like sometimes yeah. you look at a list, of, a list of features and you can kind of eyeball like, oh, that feature probably take me a day or two. That one's probably a week. And you know, you can sort of picture adding and making code but it's kind of hard to picture sometimes. How long is it going to take me to figure out why we sometimes get a reset on this thing? You know, like, I, why does this sometimes produce this exception? Who knows how long it's going to take me to really track that down? Right, exactly. So that, just like I said, it's, it's hard to predict. It's hard to know how hard a bug is or when you're going to fix it. And um, so, yeah, <laughs> so that's what we're trying to do. We're going to attempt to be ready by the end of June for our launch, but I think that even might be aggressive. Um, we just had a bug bash today where we had people on our team. Um, I like bought cupcakes and people on our team all came to a meeting room and tried out our feature complete product and um, filed a bunch of bugs. So yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what cool. I've been trying to do. Very cool. Cupcakes are good debugging uh, motivation. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what have you been up to, Marty? The big news is I got a new puppy. <laughs> you, for your farm? Yeah, I have. It, for the listeners who don't know this, I have three dogs now, including Abby, and I have two cats. Or I guess it might be a little more correct to say my wife has two cats that I have <laughs> inherited. I'm not a cat person. I'm more of a dog person. But um, yeah, we got a new puppy. She's a French bulldog named Abby. She's currently almost three months old. And she's awesome. She's really cute and really sweet and very friendly and lovey. And she just sits in your lap and snores and curls up. She is currently uh, licking my feet right now Aww. while I'm trying to record the podcast. 
Um, she's awesome. I actually took her to campus, took her to school at Stanford and I had her like meet my TAs and my students and some of my coworkers and everybody loved her and people were petting her and holding her and taking pictures of her. That was really fun. Um, it's also uh, in non-puppy news, it's, <laughs> it's week nine out of 10 of the spring quarter. And so the school year is kind of winding down or, or ramping up or whatever because the finals are coming and we have to grade them. And there's a bunch of work left to be done, but we're actually very close to the end of school year. So uh, that's pretty exciting stuff for me. And uh, looking forward to fit every year, you know, school year that you finish is a big milestone. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that for sure. Hooray. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's what we're up to. <laughs> um, cool. Well, Marty, what are we going to talk about this week? Um, I think we're going to do a thumbs up, thumbs down. Yep. What are we going to talk about news-wise? Uh, well, there's been so much stuff. Honestly, we were looking at our notes for the podcast, and we had so much stuff, we just had to cut a bunch of it because we had notes from two months of <laughs> news. <laughs> and so a lot of things just we didn't get a chance to talk about, and we have to skip a few of them. But uh, we're going to talk about the Oracle versus Google lawsuit that's currently going on over Android, and we're going to talk about the Google I.O. conference. We're going to talk about Facebook trending stories, accusations of bias against them. Uh, if we have time, we'll talk about some stuff related to Uber, Microsoft, some of the other big tech companies. So. Cool. Well, let's get started. Let's uh, do it. All right. So we're going to start with thumbs up, thumbs down, our little segment where Marty and I will take a tech-ish topic and quickly give or take on whether we like it, thumbs up, or dislike it, thumbs down. So <laughs> Super um, original. We thought of it. <laughs> so um, first topic, capitalizing internet and web um, when in written form. Thumbs up, <laughs> thumbs down. Right, so didn't uh, there was an article like they just changed the official recommendation to keep them lowercase, right? Yes. Isn't that true? Yes. Yeah, and I'm with that. That's that's how I think it should be. Internet and web being uppercase looks very, especially web. It looks really weird to capitalize web to Agreed. me. So I'm, I'm I, well, I don't remember whether the thumb did you say thumbs up on capitalizing them? Because if that's what you said, then I say thumbs down. Basically, oh, that's right. Okay, yeah, yeah. I want yes. them to be lowercase. It's I'm with the thumbs down capitalizing, thumbs up on the style change. Yeah. Agree. All right, next one. Uh, Microsoft, auto-updating Windows 10, uh, or auto-updating your Windows OS to Windows 10. Yeah. Thumbs I, up <laughs> or thumbs down, Marty. Wonder what you're going <laughs> to say on this. <laughs> I insisted on including this in the thumbs up, thumbs down, so I could take a shit on it and say, I hate how uh, Microsoft has gotten really aggressive about trying to trick people into upgrading their Windows without them wanting to do it. Um, they have pop up these boxes saying, oh, it's time for your scheduled update to Windows 10. And they don't have a no button or a cancel button. You actually have to very carefully find these hidden options on the window to uh, tell it that you don't want to update. And it's just like becoming more and more uh, aggressive and tricky and sneaky about how they force you to do this update so much. And uh, I'm on record as not being a fan of that behavior. <laughs> so thumbs way down. I don't like it. Um, yeah, I guess I'm... I'm a weaker thumbs down. Um, I guess I, admittedly, I don't really follow uh, Windows operating system news very much. Um, I'm not much of a Windows user, but do you know why they are forcing the upgrade? Well, I just, I mean, you can you can go with the nice reason or the cynical reason. <laughs> I mean, the altruistic nice reason is that they want everybody using the latest version and they, they don't want to, have people who have security holes because they have an old version of Windows. They don't want to maintain these old versions. They want to get everybody on the latest one and kind of up to date. And and uh, and they're giving it away for free, which is really nice. You don't even have to pay for it. And so you know that's kind of the less cynical version. I, I think the more cynical version is that they probably have some new monetization ideas that involve Windows 10. Like they might want to show ads on your computer or they might want to have a certain kind of marketplace for apps that only works on mm. Windows 10. And I think they just sort of figure they have more opportunity to extract revenue from you as a customer if you're using Windows 10. So I think at the end of the day, they're a company, they're a business, they're trying to make money. And they think it's in their best interest to do this to get more money from you. So I kind of don't trust the altruistic versions of this. You know, like I feel like they want you on Windows 10 because they want to, they've got plans for you. I could even imagine them switching to a non-free model at some point, like a subscription model for Windows 10, sort of retroactively making it not free. People hmm. think I'm crazy. People seem crazy for, for saying <laughs> that. But I mean, it's not unheard of, you know, for a company to say, hey, you can have a free trial for a year and then saying, actually, you know, maybe if you want security updates, now you have to start paying $10 a month. I see. In-app upgrades. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I know generally why people, like, I mean, Chrome auto updates and Android auto updates and, you know, um, or I guess Android doesn't technically, the apps auto update, the OS um, has a force install that'll nag you. Um, uh, iOS does the same. But I guess with Windows, I just figure it's less... Um, 
there's less of an app ecosystem around it, or maybe I'm just unfamiliar with it. <laughs> but um, I would think that they have, like I get like why Android for the developer's sake or whatever would want um, to uh, auto upgrade, but less understanding of Windows. Well, anyway, I'm just ingr- ignorant on the subject, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. You're a softer thumbs down. All right. Um, <laughs> Go ahead, me. Take a, take a second to fix that. Yeah, oh man. Okay, there you go. You had a lighting issue. Um, okay, what's next for thumbs up, thumbs down? Alrighty, so this one's yours. <laughs> uh, the new Doom game, Marty. What do you think about that? I know you're super interested oh in this gosh. too. I think it's awesome because Doom is great. Doom is like one of the best video games ever. Uh, but in in uh, in acknowledgement of the new Doom game, I'm gonna play through the old Doom game because it's so cool. What do you think, V? Are you thumbs up or down on the Doom? Uh, I only barely realized, or I only barely knew that this was happening. I saw a tweet about, like, an internet API, like a joke, a tweet joke about, like, how, you know, how, like, people say, like, um, web pages or whatever are measured in terms of, like, the original Doom, like, the size, like, most web pages oh, are yeah. the size of the original Doom. So in, like, 20 years, the size of a web page is going to be, like, you know, 500 the gigabytes. Of, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the size so, of Doom 2016. Yeah, exactly. The size of Doom 2016. And so um, I did not realize until it was on this agenda that it was a real <laughs> game. So thumbs up. I'm gonna. That sounds like thumbs up. <laughs> sounds like you're a fan. Okay. All right. All right, next, the Angry Birds movie. Ugh. <laughs> oh, did you know it's number one? It made like $40 million at the box office. I am sad that that that's popular. <laughs> well, isn't it popular with kids, though? Like, I mean, it's not like... It's like a kid's movie. I don't know. You're, I guess. <laughs> Marty, you're so grinchy. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, thumbs I'm, th- I'm thumbs up. I'm thumbs up. I guess not that I play Angry Birds or really know it, but it seems the kids like it. So why not? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe if it were just some random other movie about birds, I wouldn't care. Because I, I, I understand uh, and acknowledge that kids' movies are a little bit shallow and simple and silly a lot of the time. Of course, that's right. It's that's what kids' yeah. movies are. But somehow the fact that this app like became I don't know. It's just like ugh. I see. It yeah. seems like it's just milking money or something like that. Okay. Yeah, and I sort of also roll my eyes when they release like new Star Wars Angry Birds. Like that doesn't make any oh, sense. You know, like okay. wait, you're launching birds out of a slingshot, but now they have lightsabers or something. You know, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I see. Oh, well, whatever. Okay. Kudos, kudos to the Angry Birds people. They can rake in a few more million bucks. Um, okay, next. All right, so um, another important event that happened in the last two months, RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> so season eight um, winner was announced. What do you think about the RuPaul's Drag Race season eight winner from do New York who, City? I wonder who put this on the agenda. <laughs> <laughs> um I could not possibly care less about that, but <laughs> uh, but I, I will admit I do sometimes watch trashy television. My wife and I uh, are pretty addicted to The Bachelor, and we're pretty excited that the Bachelorette season is just starting. So I will I will admit I like equally bad programs. <laughs> <but> I, <laughs> I'm going to stop you right there and say RuPaul's Drag Race is legitimately amazing and not trash te- television. So I will not hear any objection to that. Wow. Okay, you're gonna have to. Meet I have me then. very strong opinions about RuPaul's Drag Race. Anyway, I like the winner. I like Bob, the drag queen, who is the winner. I kind of wish it was Kimchi, the Korean queen, but okay. <laughs> I, Wait, her Bob name is was Kimchi. Kimchi, yeah. It, oh, oh, she was amazing. Um, I also liked Naomi Smalls, but um, but Bob, the drag queen, also very strong. So congratulations, Bob. <laughs> wow. Wait, that shows in New York. Like, can you go to a taping or something? Uh, no. So uh, they. They sometimes tape the finale in New York, but this time they did it in um, L.A. So, But Bob the Drag Queen is from New York City. There are three New York City queens this year. Um, That's cool. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> well, something that you can aspire to. Maybe you'll get to meet uh, the drag the race. The drag queens. When... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> cool. Uh. Okay. So I guess that's it for our thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> All right. Why don't we get to the news roundup, B? Okay. So on the first item of our agenda, the Oracle versus Google lawsuit. So um, I'll just mention right up front that uh, I'm going to comment on this generally. I do work for Google, and my opinion does not uh, reflect anything related to Google, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to be very careful with what I say and mostly kind of like kind of give Marty the floor (laughs) on (laughs) on this. So want to describe the lawsuit, Marty? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we want to do a super deep dive on all the technical or legal aspects of it. But, I mean, basically... 
Oracle has filed suit against Google because of Android. Um, Android has a re-implementation of all of the Java class libraries, the Java APIs, all the many thousands of classes that come with Java, like ArrayList and String and Random and all of this kind of stuff. Uh, they re-implemented them from scratch based on all the documentation and headings that, that Oracle and Sun made for Java. And Oracle claims that they didn't have the right to do that without coming to some deal with a license with Oracle and paying Oracle money. So they filed suit, and they're fighting it out in court right now. And so I think a lot of you know programmers are watching the case with interest because if Oracle wins, it sort of implies that APIs are uh, you know intellectual property that you can chase people down and sue people over if they if they re-implement your APIs. And I think a lot of developers currently sort of don't think that's the case, or they think that. As long as as long as you don't take the code that implements the APIs, if you rewrite them, then it should be okay. It's almost like a uh, a reverse engineer or something. That's not quite the right uh, phrasing, but anyway. So it's it's a seems like a pretty important case for computer scientists and programmers, and um, it's been ongoing. It's still ongoing right now, and there have been some expert witnesses on both sides. And I found it personally kind of interesting because one of my uh, professor buddies named Owen Astrakhan, who works at Duke, who's uh, a uh, pretty famous computer science teacher, he uh, testified on Google's side trying to explain what an API was and uh, why, you know, what, what Google did or didn't do and why it wasn't wrong or whatever. And, um, you know, so anyway, that's that case is currently ongoing. There has been some good writing and, and good reporting out of the case. Um, there's a woman named, I think her name is Sarah Jong, who is... Uh, attending the trial and live tweeting it and stuff, which is pretty interesting to read her her take on everything. And she seems to side with Google. Um, but, you know, it's fun to have somebody on the inside kind of reporting each witness and what they're saying and kind of what's going on in there. It's, it's been interesting to follow. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, it, it's definitely been, like, cool um, to be able to watch the updates and commentary on Twitter. Um, so yeah, like I think there's it, it. It was it's a really interesting case because um, I believe the jury doesn't have anyone who's a computer computer scientist. Like they actually um, did not choose a jury that had any anyone who had a computer science or programming background. I, I don't know if that, or I believe that's true. So it's kind of a strange case in that like um, the people. So the lawyers, a lot of the lawyers who are like uh, presenting this case on one of the sides uh, seem to not have a great understanding of some of the technology involved or perhaps one could say um, like an intentional misrepresentation of some of the um, technology involved and then certainly the jury, if they don't have a computer science background a lot of this like stuff about APIs and interfaces and you know Java and whatnot like um it's just as a as a computer scientist, I feel it's really hard for me to even imagine like having to weigh in on this without knowing how to code or like what like how do you know what an API is without knowing how to code? I think it's cool that they did bring in like Owen to um, I think it was really smart actually to try to bring in like an excellent computer science teacher to try to explain these concepts to the jury. But it still like just seems like man, this seems like the process is wrong here. Yeah, yeah, the whole jury of peers kind of thing is weird when you bring in peers who are not competent in the subject area. Like, if they were your peer, wouldn't they know the, the subject a little bit, you know? Right. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, and, and like, it has been kind of comical to watch them try to explain these things to the laypersons and the jury. Like, uh, I think when Oracle was on the stand, they were using these analogies. It's been bad analogy theater, basically. <laughs> Somebody was talking about how um, an API, you know, re-implementing an API is like a, a, a brunch place or a breakfast place and the menu and stuff. And I mean, I kind of get where they were going with that. It's kind of like if two restaurants offered the same choices on the menu, but they cooked them in totally unique ways and they never learned each other's recipes, then would you say one of the restaurants had copied from the other one? Was that illegal? I think that's kind of what they were trying to say. But then the the, the cross, right. they just started asking, wait, what is this about the breakfast? And the <laughs> oh, God. They, just got, they got like lost in the analogy, you know? And uh, That's, yeah. It's hard to give. 
I mean, yeah, that's not a great analogy. I thought Owen's analogy was pretty good with, like, I think he said something about, like, an automobile and, like, um, you know, ex- you expect on every car, like, that they would have, like, brakes and a steering wheel and exactly how those work. Um, you don't know, but that's the sort of standard interface for here's how you operate with a type of car. Um, but, yep. yeah, giving, like, real-world examples can be can be damaging, I think, to, like, people's understandings if they're not a good real-world example. Um Another kind of interesting thing. um, So I've been looking at the tweets and apparently they've dug up like various emails um, that like Google employees have emailed to each other. And it's I mean, it's kind of crazy because it's like um, they are things that like I think on, on Twitter, people have been saying like, okay, as an engineer, I like I would say something like that. like people having very strong opinions on things in like a private conversation in their company about code and about APIs things saying like this is a shitty API or so you know like this is a bad API or this is really um uh not well you know not well designed code or whatnot and this is being brought up in the case like by um Oracle saying like hey see this is proof this is proof these developers complaining about the API like this is why they needed like our code like so it's like this stuff that you would normally like you would wouldn't even think about like emailing uh on a mailing list or something like just to complain about something or have an open discussion about like um what you think about a design decision being used in this case and like sort of like the reaction on Twitter is like oh man like I could totally see myself in a position I would never want to defend my comments like in a private email about like developers and you just don't want to have to think about that as an engineer like you just want to talk about technology and not have that used in a case against you unexpectedly yeah well and you know I I just think it's a weird thing because Oracle bought Sun and then in the process of that purchase they got Java they got ownership of the intellectual right. property of Java. And then pretty soon after that, I think within a year or maybe a little more than a year, they filed this lawsuit. And so there was some concern that maybe the timing was convenient, like maybe they bought this intellectual property so that they could file a lawsuit or maybe that was a big part of it or whatever. And so they've had to kind of address that that uh, possibility and deny it and stuff. And um, it's very strange. I mean, if you if you look back when Oracle or when, when uh, Android was released, the the messages that were posted were like congratulations to Google for releasing uh, Android, you know, and it's like they seemed okay with it. Right. And, and also, like the the other thing is, look, I've been coding Java since the late '90s, since Java was pretty new, and the big buzz about Java at the time was, you know, all the APIs were public and anybody right. could look at them and anybody could re-implement right. them. Like a bunch of people did. IBM re-implemented their own entire JDK and their own libraries. Everybody re-implemented them, but they made the same function headers and library methods and stuff so that it would be compatible. And Sun was totally okay with that, and that was part of the understanding. The The big thing was, if you take our implementation of those libraries, our actual right. code, code for the libraries, then that's no good. You can't sell that or whatever. You can't you can't take that and build something else on it and sell it or whatever. And that was, that was the big bugaboo. And that's why people like IBM rebuilt it from scratch, because they just didn't want any chance that they were going to get stuck with some licensing term that wasn't cool for them, that they couldn't make money on something. And so it was always about implementing. And so like when Google made Android, they actually went to great pains to rewrite all of this stuff from scratch. That probably took months. That was a ton of work. And I actually think they that was the right thing to do. They like they did this the right way to keep their hands clean. And so the only thing they sort of took from Oracle was kind of these namings and labels of some of the libraries and actually the guts of how all of it works they didn't take any they didn't take a single bit of code for that and i don't know it it just it feels to me like google put lots and lots of resources into doing this the right way to make sure that they were following the law and making sure that they couldn't be get in trouble for what they did um and uh the other thing is look Let's just be honest here. Android is probably the single biggest reason Java is still relevant right now. <laughs> right. If not one of the top two or three. I mean, Java is a language that's kind of teetering. It's still very popular. It's still very widely used. But I think it's held up by a smaller number of core use cases than it used to be. Um, nobody's developing regular old apps in Java anymore. And not very many people are doing web things with Java anymore. And so... You know, there's a lot of legacy code that's Java. There is some server-side web code in Java. And then there's Android. And there's just, there's not a lot of other things that are cool and hip about Java. 
and I just think Oracle is, uh, you know, missing the forest for the trees or something like that. It's like you're, you're trying to take down this company who has basically helped your language stay relevant. Anything that they do with Java is being aided significantly by the tons of developers who are learning Java for the purposes of doing Android, you know? So I, I just don't get it. I mean, I guess they want to just extract a pound of flesh and make Google pay a license fee for each phone or for each deployment of Android or something, but I don't know. I think the legal precedent that would set if they got their way would be very dangerous. I just think there's so many cases where people have you know, uh, adapted APIs and rewritten them. If that now became illegal to do uh, without, you know, onerous license terms, I think that would be really damaging for innovation in software engineering. So uh, I, I don't know how much you're, you want to editorialize, Victoria, <laughs> but that is my take on this case. I very strongly want Google to win. I think they will win, but uh, I think it's right that they win. I think that they're legally in the right, and I think it's what's best for our field if they win. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I'll add... Um, I think this is yet another reason why everyone should learn computer science, right? Because it's, it's, as technology becomes more and more pervasive, this becomes, like, technology is where um, the marketplace is, this is where the money, the economy is. Like, there are just going to be more and more lawsuits and sort of rulings based on, like, what is fair use and um, fair trade and whatnot, like, uh, with with technology and so like I mean the things with like um, you know net neutrality and whatnot like those are sort of examples where it's like when technology and law get involved right now it's like these really painful cases to watch as a technologist because it's like the um, you know arguments they're making are not correct they're or like the and then you feel sorry for the jury because it's like well how are they possibly going to understand how to rule on this and it's just like this kind of absurd situation that like if computer science was just taught to everyone in the US then there would be a much higher um likelihood at least like that maybe we could actually have this like common knowledge so that people could rule on it. I mean, I think there's always going to be some level of expertise um, needed, but like, I, I just, I, I can't imagine never hearing about an API before and then having to like, um, right. have an opinion on this. Like, how do you have an opinion on this without having at least encountered this technology before? You know, the thing I thought was the really the most funny about the Oracle testimony that I read or the, the Oracle witness examinations or whatever, uh, they, they were doing all these analogies like, oh, somebody steals the restaurant menu or whatever. And it's like, you don't have a restaurant. <laughs> like Google makes a phone and they make an operating system for phones. Oracle doesn't sell any phones. They, they're not a competitor in this space. Yeah. In fact, they they actually had internal discussions about thinking about making a Java phone and they decided not to. So it's kind of like, Look, you didn't even try. It's not like it's not like they competed against you and beat you by stealing your your ideas or your work or something. It's like they entered into another market that you weren't in. They, you know, built from scratch a bunch of libraries for that new market, and now you're trying to just shake them down for money. It just seems really, really flimsy to me. The the legal standing that uh, Oracle has. You know, they were they were cross examining Professor Astrakhan from Duke. And they said to him, so, you know, you just explained, you just did your teacher thing and explained to the jury what APIs are and stuff. Okay. And then they, they asked him, like, well, do you think it's hard to write a good API? Is it difficult? And he's like, yes. And they're like, well, is it hard, like, being an artist or a concert violinist? And he's like, I don't know. I guess they're all difficult. It's not exactly the same kind of difficulty. And, I mean, you can see where they're going. They're kind of trying to say, don't you think it was really hard for us to make this API? Don't right. you think we should be compensated for how hard it was? And it's like, look. Something being hard doesn't mean you get money, you know, like it's just yeah. such a flimsy argument. And then they were asking him things like the students who are taking your classes, uh, you know, do you tell them that if they use software that's commercial, <laughs> that they should oh have to God. pay for it? Or do you tell them that it's okay to steal it and pirate that software? And then Owen's like, yeah, I tell my students they should pay for their software. That's the right thing to do. And it's kind of like, see, people should pay for software. And it's like, Ugh, the software that has a commercial license, yes, like like publicly posted API method headings that are given away for free with permissive rights on them. No, you know, it's totally different. It's stupid. Like it maybe it's again an example, like you said, Victoria, that um, maybe the lawyers themselves don't even understand what they're arguing about. You know? Yeah, like there is. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, like there's some ex uh, some of the activity on Twitter. I forgot from what day, but like, um, or the people, or exactly who was involved. But basically, like, it, it, 
there is a series of questions where it's strongly implied one of the lawyers didn't know when a blog was uh-huh. because like um, the witnesses had like Google alerts or something. And so they like his emails were public or whatever. And so they're like, oh, well, you had these. Uh, did you have a blog? And they're like, no, I did not have a blog. And they're like, well, what about these emails here? And it's like these Google alerts. It's like. Uh, this is not a blog. Do you know what a blog is? <laughs> like, it's just like, how can you be questioning? Like, got you now. And it's like, this is not even close to what, it's not even like, we're not even talking about um, a programming construct. It's a blog. <laughs> like, you just don't know technology whatsoever. And um, there's another sort of funny uh, anecdote where it's like um, the judge, like they're trying to explain like, you know, open software and free software. And what does it mean to be open source? And like someone explaining, um, you know, GNU or whatever, G-N-U, and the G, it, like, it stands for not Linux, right? <laughs> G stands for... GNU's not Unix. Yeah, yeah, you, no, sorry. yeah, yeah not, not Unix. Um, and, like, the judge was like, this makes no sense at all. <laughs> like, they're just like... The, the, the G, G in GNU stands for GNU? <laughs> right, <Yes>. exactly. And... <laughs> it's like so, airing the dirty laundry of how ridiculous we are in our Yeah, own exactly. Like, just, it's like a, a battle of like nerd culture I suppose is what like Sarah Jong had mentioned in her like editorial on this and I was like yes <laughs> oh yeah. what a painful yeah. uh, well oh, oh and there are, you remind me of one more thing so they admitted into evidence the entire printout of the APIs oh my so- god yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so they gave these like I think they gave some di- digital versions and some printed versions of it to the jurors to look at. And of course, it's like drowning them. They can't look at it. It's too much, right? And so they were trying to look at it. And apparently, you know how like Java organizes the code into classes, into yeah. packages, and the packages are in folders. Yeah. And so apparently, like the folder nesting was so deep in this zip file that they gave them or CD or whatever they gave them that the, the jurors couldn't figure out what folders. They're like, wait, there's like 12 folders deep to get into these files. Where do I go? And they were like all complaining oh about how confusing this, this piece of evidence was and it's like yeah you shouldn't look at it like you would need to know a lot about computer science to get any information out of this thing why would you even submit this into evidence to look at like why what's the point of this who submitted it well i mean i'm sure they submitted it because it's the you know it's the it's the offending it's the thing that's being fought over so i guess it makes sense but it's kind of like don't don't bother trying to look for you know look through these folders like you're not going to understand anything or get anything interesting out of it wow it's so painful oh my gosh yeah. But hey, you know, if we were going to give a shout out that that journalist Sarah Jong is really doing a good job. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's- and and she's actually um, kind of doing it freelance and she's taking donations. Um, maybe we should plug her uh, her Twitter or how to reach her for that. Yeah. Is, it, is it just slash Sarah Jong? Yeah. Sarah and then J-E-O-N-G. Um, yeah, S-A-R-A-H. Yeah, that's right. Sarah with an H and yeah, J-E-O-N-G. Yeah, yeah, she's she's doing these great live tweets, and she has like a patron and a Bitcoin donation thing. People are just throwing her a few bucks to kind of keep her in the courtroom because she's not drawing any paycheck to do it. She's just like sitting in there like a civilian and making notes for everybody to read. And and uh, yeah, she's doing a great job. Like it's really fun to just click on her and just scroll down for the whole day and just read what happened. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good job, Sarah. Okay, well, yeah, that maybe that wraps up our quick take on on that. I, I believe the current state of the case is that the jury is uh, what is it deliberating? I think. I think the, so. Yeah. All the arguments have been made, and now they're getting about a week to sort of look it all over and talk it all over. And in about a week or two, I think they're going to announce uh, some kind of a verdict. So maybe we can hit this again on a later podcast and follow up on. It. Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> Oh, you know, man. if they if Oracle wins, we might have to stop using things like thumbs up, thumbs down. We'll get sued for. Oh my bar- god. Borrowing the API of, of naming that. <sighs> I know. God, what a way to, like, sort of burn bridges with all of the tech community. <laughs> like, I just... Hey, wait, I have a prediction. You're, you're totally right, by the way. Yes, it is, it's burning a bridge. It's Biden hand it feeds you. I predict that uh, Google is already... I'm sorry, I guess you can't comment because I don't know if you have the ability to look at this kind of thing. But um, I predict that Google has already been working on some other languages that you could develop Android apps in. And that over time, Google will start more and more encouraging developers to move to these other languages and other libraries. And basically, there will be a, a almost like a Swift with Apple, like where you start switching to the new way. And eventually, they just won't be using Java, and just nobody will care about Java. Basically, like <laughs> I think it would be good for Android to rebuild. You know, I, I teach an Android class, and a lot of their uh, 
their code and libraries and features, not the ones that they borrow from Oracle's headings, but their own are kind of crusty and kind of messed up. And I think they could do for some rebuilding and refactoring. And maybe that would be a way for them to just get out of, you know, even if they win this case, I, I don't know if I would be, you know, maybe maybe as a way of modernizing their their stuff and sort of kicking Java to the curb. I think I think Java actually has a lot of limitations these days that they could get away from. In the same way, in much the same way that Apple started to outgrow Objective C as the language for iPhone apps, you know. Right. Yeah. I I could see that happening. Um, I, I mean, I think it makes sense. Java's kind of crusty as a language. Uh, I, I think I forgot if you mentioned before in this podcast, but like some of the problems with like Java and callbacks and event handling is just not the best. And having an object like um, having a functional language or functional properties of a language. Um, or a language that's more <laughs> more had functional um, features designed from the get go rather than tacked on um, in a very recent version might be better for the APIs. Overall. Yeah, yeah, it's just a graphical event based kind of a framework like Android. It's such a pain to like pass in all these little inner class objects that respond to events and implement little event handler interfaces. It's such a mess. Not to get too into it, but right. it's such a, it's such a mess. It could be so much better, and everything's so verbose. And Java is pretty good, but it, I think it, they could benefit from maybe uh, something something new. Right. Okay. Well, then let us move on. What's our next story? Uh, more on Google. So Google I.O. happened um, well, this, amidst all this drama. So um, Google I.O. is like their annual conference Google uh, puts on where they announce a bunch of, like, launch a bunch of new things. Um, to, I guess also they have a lot of sessions to, like, talk to developers, developers on, like, Android or uh, web developers and whatnot um, and uh, announce new features, do, like, a state of the <laughs> state of the union, essentially, for both the company, but more, more of a developer-facing conference than um, purely, like, shininess. So um, I think some of the big launches were, like, um, this, like, Assistant type, um, I guess I don't know. App is <laughs> an app, um, so people call it like a Siri competitor. Though I think uh, to me it's just like sort of a more prominent version of, um, or a more like solidified version of what some of the technology Google already has. Like you already had like voice search, and you could say like "Okay, Google" or whatever. And so I think it's just like making that more pervasive. So Siri competitor, uh, Google Home, which is like the Amazon Echo competitor. Um, there's like the Allo and Duo messaging apps, and then um, there are also quite a few, I think, like API related um, and platform related launches that are maybe not as um, didn't get as many headlines. But one that was interesting to me was like Android Instant Apps. So um, yeah, like so Android Instant Apps being app, um, Android native apps that you don't have to install, but you can open a native app uh, via a URL. So it's sort of like if you didn't have, let's say that you're going to a tech conference or something, how like tech conferences tend to have um, apps as associated with them. Or like, you know, instead of having to like, um, so instead of having to download such an app for like the three days of the conference, you instead use this URL, go to this URL, it will cache. Uh, so the first time that you load it, it like takes a little while to like sort of download all the necessary resources, but that gets like cached temporarily onto your device so that like um, the more you access it, you know, the more, uh, the faster it loads, but it doesn't actually get installed on your device. So um, the kind of neat aspects of that are, um, Allegedly, I haven't tried it myself, but uh, you can retrofit your native Android app to be an ephemeral or an instant app um, with very little configuration or whatever. They say like under an hour, you should be able to like make your native app um, work in this way. So that's pretty cool. Um, a really cool idea to deal with this problem of like the app ecosystem where essentially if you're not on the front screen, um, uh, like if your app doesn't get downloaded and stay on the front screen, um, you know people are never going to use your app. And also just like from the user perspective, like man, you it's annoying to have to like um, install an application or like install a new app for just a couple days. Or if it's like you want to make a reservation somewhere, and the only way that they take reservation is through Resi and or Open Table, and like there's all these competitors, you don't really want to install five reservation apps. You would just want to kind of like make your reservation and leave, um, hopefully. Like, and so it's an interesting experiment, I think, um, 
we'll see like how many people adopt it, how many people want it. But um, it seems like interesting progress for for the platform. Yeah, you could imagine a use case where like you point your phone at a QR code and then boom, you're running an app or something. Right. Right, or just like someone sends you a link and you, it opens into your app, or a Google search results and it's you can check out an app, like things like that. Like, um, and, I mean, another way of thinking of it is just like sometimes you want to try out a game or something. Like you want to see what this app is about, but you're not wanting to commit to it. Um, it'd be nice if you could just like actually test it out via a link, not really have to think about it that much, um, not have to install it and wait for all that you know, all that stuff, have it like automatically install notifications, but not, you could just like click. Yeah, I think, I think that's cool. I mean, one of the things I hate about installing a bunch of apps. So, I mean, there's a lot of things, right? Like they take up space on your drive. And I actually, I actually do find that I run out of space on my phone with photos and all the apps and all the data. I start to run out of space. I start having to delete them. Um, And then when you, when you, when you're like, plugged in, they all start updating and it's like, oh, I, right, don't even, yeah. I don't even use that app. And now you're downloading this 39 megabyte update and it's like you're making my phone do all this work. And it's just for this dumb app. Like I install some app and I barely use it. Like like uh, maybe something like uh, Duolingo Lingo or, or, or um, TripAdvisor. These right. are like ni- nice apps that, oh, I'm, I'm on a trip, so I want TripAdvisor or, or something. Or, oh, maybe I'll practice my French. I'll install Duolingo. And it's like I use it once or twice and then I kind of don't use it anymore, but it's just like it's too present on my phone. It's popping up notifications. It's updating itself. It's taking up space. And I mean, those are bad examples, maybe of apps because those are ones you might want to keep for a while. Those aren't very ephemeral. But, but like you said, like you're you're in a museum and they have a tour guide app for the right. museum. It's like I'm not going to install the Getty Museum app and like have that now on my phone and I got to get rid of it later and just just let me do something simpler. But gosh, I sure don't want to do a web page app on my phone because those suck. You know, the user experience is so slow and bad. So I want an app, but I don't want to really have an app. So I think it's a really good idea. Like you said, I don't know how accepted it'll be or how much it'll catch on, but um, seems like one of those things where you can make the same binary work both ways, like you said. So I bet a lot of app developers will add that and make it work. And then as long as Google can deliver a good UX for it, then I bet it'll work really well for certain kind of apps. Yeah, yeah, I saw a couple demos and it looked really compelling. Um, So uh, funny you mentioned, so mobile web apps, um, they actually had a large presence as well at I.O. I haven't actually caught up on my I.O. video watching, but um, there is apparently a lot of progress with regard to like um, mobile web and like uh, I forgot, once again, forgot what, what the name for it is. But um, if so, if this like instance Android app is making apps less permanent, um, there was some work on like making mobile apps like more permanent, or sorry, yeah, mobile web apps more permanent. So definitely some progress on the uh, web. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I think Google is at least attempting to try to make um, the mobile web experience not as terrible. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that's work that needs doing too, for sure. Yep. I, I do think that those instant apps are cool, and I'm sure a lot of these other initiatives are cool. Um, I would say a lot of the sort of consumer product and, and big headline things they announced, the common thread I sort of saw there was they all seemed to be ripoffs of other people's ideas. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think Google's a, Google's a company that innovates a lot. I like Google. But like, okay, they make an assistant, Siri ripoff, Cortana ripoff. They make Google Home, it's an Amazon Echo ripoff. They make these messaging apps called Duo and Allo. Those seem to be kind of a FaceTime or WhatsApp kind of ripoff. It's like, and it's fine. Like, I think getting into a market and offering a competing product is fine. But it is interesting that, like, most of the stuff they announce, the way people describe it is, it's like this other product. It's basically Google's version of that, you know. And and uh, I get more excited when I hear Google doing something that p- other people aren't doing, like self-driving cars or, you know, some of this, like, or just just some of the things that they've they've innovated over time that isn't just a me too kind of a product. Yeah, um, I agree. I think I wasn't too excited about um, a lot of the launches. Like I think um, they have. Um, so I think I, I would say like in this case, um, a lot of these aren't really, or some of these I, I wouldn't say are like me too. Uh, they're in some ways they're like. Um, improvements over existing apps. So like I said, like with the Siri competitor, the thing is Google had voice search before Apple did, right? I'm pretty sure at least on their Android phones. It's just they didn't market it as an assistant. And so um, Apple, I think, 
out of the sort of Siri conversation, this is a person, versus Google just had voice search, and the functionalities were essentially the same. It was just sort of like packaged more understandably in Apple's ecosystem. So I think like they're just sort of like amping up the the product story, which also isn't interesting to me. <laughs> I think as a technologist, I'm sort of like, okay, I guess they're trying to... It doesn't sound... Like you said, it's, it's not particularly innovative. It's um, more that they're just trying to make it more accessible. Um, with the messaging apps, um, again, Google has had several messaging apps. Um, and I think they were some of the early innovators on some of these messaging apps, but they didn't... Um, so Gchat, not talking about Hangouts, but um, like Gchat was the standard for many years, like a decade ago or whatever, but they kind of fell behind. Um, Hangouts... Um, is it was like technologically um, quite an innovation with like multi-party video chat, but like other parts of it were not great. So it's sort of like I think um, it's not really catch up, but maybe <laughs> fix up um, for these if that makes a difference at all. Um, but yeah. then yeah, like I think um, the uh, Google Home, I have no feelings on um, the API and like the sort of like platform improvements. I the most interested in. I think those are cool. I guess there are also a lot of VR announcements, but I haven't really been following VR. Yeah, maybe closely. we can do a different podcast where we talk about some of that VR stuff. That seems like a, a hot yep. topic. I, I also, I, I always judge by whether their product name is just Google plus something, like Google Home. I'm like, yawn. You know, like <laughs> I, I actually really liked the names just Allo and Duo just because it was like a different. name, a real name. <laughs> Like Google Assistant, Google Home, Google everything. You know, just that's always a sign that you're getting lazy with your naming because you're just really all you're doing is relying on your company name. This is Google's version of Maps. This is Google's version of. of eh, I don't know. I'm not. I, names are hard. Names are hard. I don't know. Um, well, but I'm giving credit. Names. As much as I hate Apple, I'm giving them a lot of credit. Like they come up with these features and these products and these things and they call it like Time Machine. They don't call it Apple Backup. You know, they call it Siri. They don't call it Apple Voice Assist. You know, they call it Siri. And it's like people talk about these things and they don't say Apple's Siri is really good. They say Siri is really good. You know what I mean? Like, you, yeah, that's true. It's implicit that it's from Apple, but the name of the thing is good and catches on. And then you don't have to say Google Hangouts. Like nobody says Hangouts without saying Google Hangouts, you know, or maybe some people do, but most people don't, right. you know, and just, I feel like it's a real achievement. It's a good sign if you can make the name of the product stick. Um, I mean, like, I think a good example, like right now we're doing this podcast on Skype. Right. And like, if Microsoft, Microsoft now owns Skype, they bought it, they bought the company. But if Microsoft had made Skype internally, they wouldn't have called it Skype. They would have called it like Microsoft Voice Chat or Microsoft Skype or something. And it's like it wouldn't have gotten known as Skype. It would have gotten known as Microsoft Chat or something, you know. And, and it's like I think these big companies forget that like no, you know, no product uh, really becomes that cool if its name is just company plus some appendage word afterward, you know. Maybe. I don't know. Like, I mean, Google Maps, I feel like works <laughs> like i don't think anyone's like oh, i'm not going to use that maps product because uh so i don't know um no, that's like, fair. and like but like gmail is kind of like got the g from google but it's a little different but yeah I'm or just, like google chrome like people say chrome now like you know right but see but that's a good name that's a good name like sure it, but you said hangouts and like i think hangouts is maybe a bad name but you know like i think people used to say gchat so i don't know names are hard yeah, like, I guess, okay, let me mildly defend Hangouts. Like, I just think Hangouts hasn't been a very successful product. But, right. like, but it's better to call it Hangouts than Google Chat, right? Like, so so I'll, I, I agree with that. And I think Chrome, they did call it Google Chrome, but at least it had a name. And that you could imagine, here's the, here's the litmus test. Could you just make a startup and only name the startup the name of that product? And would that make any sense, you know? Uh, so, like, you could call it, kind of have a Chrome startup company that made Chrome or something, you know? I guess so, but like Facebook Messenger is super popular, and that's also like I think the, I mean you're completely right that it's relying on the brand. Um, but I think that makes sense if it's something like you know Facebook Messenger, where it's like ah, it implies that I can use this product by having a Facebook account, right? Like, yeah. um, and so I think that kind of in that case makes sense. If it was just some like rando name, then like, well, why would I use that messaging app? So. By the way, I want to I want to rant about that particular example for a second. <laughs> so you know I use Facebook Messenger. That's fine. I chat with people on there. And I have the Facebook Messenger app installed. But my complaint is I think they have preemptively tried to remove the word Facebook from the app. That's true. Be 
because I think of that app as Facebook Messenger, but in a somewhat recent version of it, they reduced the name to just Messenger. And now if you go to app stores, it's just listed as Messenger. If you go to your list of apps, it's listed under M, it's sorted under M. And I think that's not cool because like there's a bunch of other apps that say Messenger in their name, like the text messaging app, sometimes it's called text messenger or messenger right. or whatever. And it's confusing. It's like, wait, what kind of messages are these? And I think they, they're doing two things that I think are bad. One is they're trying to act legit before they're legit. Like I don't think people just think of it as messenger. People think of right. it as Facebook messenger. So I think they're like overplaying their hand of like, we don't even need the Facebook name anymore. Uh, yes, you do. And then second of all, I think they're intentionally, I, I think they like the idea that it might be confusing to some users and that they might accidentally load Facebook Messenger instead of their text messaging app and then oops now they're using the Facebook app to send their text and they want that they would they would like that accidental usage they don't mind and then they go what well you found the app and you used it that must have been what you wanted lol you know what i mean like i think they could imagine like a middle aged user or somebody who's not <laughs> super tech savvy like oh messenger okay you know and, and i i think it's more uh, i don't like it I, I think it's more nefarious than it seems you know interesting it's kinda, i could see that intentional confusion of user you know what i mean like you just name something this vague word that like they're gonna click on yeah i guess i'll say like my rule of thumb is that uh from being at google um usually (laughs) usually these things are not actually like some big nefarious plan usually it's like Usually the answer is dumber than that, right? It's usually just like, ah, oh, crap, we ended up with this name, you know. Like, it usually, like, so that's my defensive, like Facebook. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have the optimistic view of just like they just sort of ended up with like this clunky name. But I could, I see your point, Marty. I see your point. Yeah. <laughs> and mea culpa, I am horrible at naming things. I call all my apps like grade it and practice it <laughs> and, and so on right. and so uh, I can't throw very many stones in this regard <laughs> okay so that's our summary of what, what we thought from Google I.O. Um, should we move on to the next story? Um, sure so speaking of Facebook um, there was a story uh, a little bit ago um, I guess it's still going on but about Facebook Facebook's trending stories and whether or not they um, suppress conservative news stories. So I think that the issue was that um, the, isn't it true that the, um, so it is not, uh, it is not purely algorithmically generated, the list of trending stories, and instead there's like an editorial, um, like human editorial uh, staff that sort of curates them. And so um, that because of that, um, there's been like a political bias, uh, liberal political bias um, within these trending stories. So I believe that is the... That was the accusation. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. And um, Facebook had a bunch of conservative media reps and journalists flown out to their Bay Area campus to speak to them, to talk about this issue. And they tried to say that, you know, it's algorithms and we try our best and we we definitely don't want them to be biased and there's no systematic problem here and they basically just tried to stick their case to these journalists but then also listen to the the journalists reply of why they thought there was bias and how maybe Facebook could address it or be more transparent about it and my understanding is they have made a few pivots Facebook has adjusted a little bit like they have admitted that it might be possible that some of their individual curators of content might have you know injected some of their own views into the feed which i think is a obvious statement whenever you have people doing something like this there's going to be some of that so i guess that's fine for them to admit that and then they've also i think uh you know done some things to change the guidelines that they give to the curators they've changed some of the sites that they pull content from um they, so they have tried to address the issue and you know i guess that's good um I, I think that part of it is, you know, they were pulling from some sites like the New York Times a lot. And the New York Times is fairly liberal publication, I think it's fair to say. Uh, so, you know, they were pulling. I mean, I, I guess another another thing that this reminds me of, Victoria, is um, there was a, a story a few years back that Google had some algorithms that were discriminating against minority job applicants or something in the in the pile because it would just it was using machine learning to, like, look at trends and it saw trends that some underrepresented groups weren't hired as much. And it was falsely deciding that, oh, that must mean they aren't as good. So it was like burying some of those apps a little bit, applications in the pile, and people were getting upset. And 
you know, Google was saying, oh, it's just an algorithm. It's not a, you know, the algorithm isn't racist. It's just confused or whatever. And, and so I think Facebook was kind of trying to say the same thing was like, this data comes from links that users are sharing. And if our users right. are sharing, sharing more of these links that are more liberal, then that's kind of what's surfacing more to this uh, trending story uh, feed. But, you know, at the end of the day, Facebook, as long as they have humans in the pipeline looking at all the content and selecting it, you know, as long as it's not a blind algorithm, they do have some culpability for what the algorithm surfaces and what the people surface. And so I don't think you can cop out and just like throw your hands up and say, well, we just link what people are posting. Right. Oh, OK. So I'm, I'm sorry. I'm looking up a little bit more details on this. I, it was a little bit more salacious than um, I recap. So it was actually a former employee that and like there are leaked a former employee who had confidentially said that this was what was happening and I think leaked documents that revealed that um, this was uh, that there are like human hu human cur curation is involved and it's not purely algorithms that's I believe right. what the topic was so um, so I guess that's the other sort of spiciness to the story is that like Facebook did not um, expose this information intentionally so right right well and also um there was another story that's not directly related but probably is sort of connected where there was an internal facebook i don't want to give it the wrong prominence because i think it was a very casual thing but there was an internal discussion thread on facebook where they asked should we as a company try to do anything to stop donald trump right. from becoming president because maybe that would be bad or dangerous or something. That was the question that this person posed in a thread internally. And they talked it over. I don't know. I, I mean, it's internal. I can't see it. I don't know what they said exactly. But the rumor was that the outcome of the conversation was, well, no, like, it's, that's not our place to get involved in something like that. And people should just talk about what they want to talk about and post what they want to post. And it'll happen how it happens. And, and uh, but, you know, people were pointing to things like that and saying, like, look, this company has a liberal agenda, a, a Democrat agenda, and they're not going to treat conservative, Republican or alternative media news sources uh, with the equal, you know, respect and placement and stuff. So I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's funny because to me, like, I, I run this plugin in my browser where I hide that trending stories section entirely. <laughs> so I don't even see this stuff, you know, because after about the 10th Kardashian article in there, I was like, okay, fuck this thing. <laughs> I, don't see, I don't care about this vapid gossip news that's being posted on my Facebook. And so I just turned it off. I installed this thing called uh, FB Purity, oh, which, which lets you like hack the appearance of Facebook and hide content. And I turned off all this crap that's on the sidebar. <laughs> And I don't see it anymore. So it's kind of like, oh, they have a Democrat bias? I didn't even know. I didn't see it, you know? It looked to me like they had a stupid tabloid gossip bias. If you <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but I I'm guess... Not, but I'm not surprised. Oh, sorry, I cut you off. I'm not surprised if they would have a bias. Go ahead, B. Um. So I guess why would it be bad? Or, like, I, I mean, like, Facebook's allowed to do that, right? Like, aren't... It's... There's no reason for them to be objective. I guess, like, technically they would have, like been misleading or they didn't admit to having a certain leaning but um if they did i guess i wouldn't i wouldn't think that that would be a problem unless i guess it's against their terms of service or something i don't know but well i think it's a difference between what's legal and what's right. smart and what's yeah. right i mean there's a lot of levels you could think about this so i don't think they they could blatantly have a political bias and I, it wouldn't be illegal but let's unpack it for a second so I mean, you could talk about it as a business decision. It might be a really dumb business decision right. because maybe nobody who isn't a Democrat will want to use the site. And so they just cut a bunch of users, right, That who would have used the site. That's bad. And also, they have advertisers. And if their advertisers get pissed off and don't want to pay anymore right. to advertise there, well, you guys are biased and all this, and you're, you're silencing other opinions. They lose money, they lose ads. So that I think you could make a case that it's a bad business decision to get too politically active in a site that seems... The thing about Facebook is it feels like it's just a, a vessel, a medium for other people to post things. It doesn't feel like the vessel itself should jump in and say, you know, that Donald Trump is a weirdo. Like, it uh -huh. doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like it's the place of the software to be so vocal. I guess or I like, here, I'm going to suggest a story about how Democrats are great. You know, like that, that feels a little too heavy handed. I would actually be pretty upset if like I went to my Gmail and Google was like, did you know you can donate to Hillary Clinton? I'd be like, look, that get out of my politics and my inbox or or whatever. Or or if Google were run by the the Church of Latter-day Saints and they were sending me information about the their their beliefs uh, in my in my inbox, I'd say, look, that's great, but it doesn't seem like you should 
contact me about that. Or, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I would just say, keep, keep that out of my my tech uh, service or, or whatever. So uh, go go ahead. What are you what are you gonna say? Um, I get in the heavy handed direction, like when it's like that blatant. But at the same time, like um, there has been, I think, much evidence that like. Facebook and Google are quite left-leaning, right? Like, with anything with regard to, like, gay marriage. And, like, um, on Pride, you could change your, like, your profile picture to be a rainbow, you know? Um, I think, and I sometimes see little things on, like, you know, advertising to vote for something or support this thing. Um, And they're not quite, they don't have, like, an explicit political leaning, like, as much as, like, well, you should not vote for Trump. You know, like, nothing that blatant, but... um, it's certainly like there. Like I think if there's like this conservative sponsor that really hated, you know, the gays, like I think, you know, Facebook has clearly made its decision there. Um, so I, I guess I, I agree with what you're saying. I think it probably makes sense. Like in this case, it's uh, trickier. Um, like I think it's more of a blatant, like. Um, political leaning versus like certain you know maybe picking and choosing certain topics um, and more like human rights kind of topics um, to have a leaning toward but um, yeah I don't know it's a little interesting Um, you you know what I was also thinking about was you know it's probably in Facebook's best interest to seem impartial as much as they can because you could imagine down the line you know sometimes the government starts to think of uh, a company or a service as being more important like, you know, Facebook doesn't have a lot of government regulation telling them what kind of content they can post and stuff, right? Because it's just some website. The government doesn't care about that. But, like, there are forms of media that are regulated, like the TV and newspapers and stuff. And, like, Mm. if Facebook grows in prominence to the point where the government cares and pays attention more, and then suddenly they are being told what kind of content they can and can't post, like, Facebook probably doesn't want that. And so it's probably smart for them to not seem to have an overt political agenda as much as they can. Um, I just think it's it's probably good for business to keep the attention off them in that way. You know? Yeah, that all makes sense. That all makes sense. And like things like you want people to, if you want like Facebook to be sort of like the default place for like people to get to have like a political page. Like if you want to support the Hillary campaign, you can like her Facebook page or um, you know. Um, and so like to make it that blatantly in favor of one leaning versus the other um, is probably yeah. just bad. I do think your your example was really interesting, Victoria, with the the rainbow um, pride photos you could post, right, when the gay marriage stuff was happening. Because, like, if you're a conservative person, you might say, hey, you guys have never made a feature that was about anything, I believe. You know, right. like, like uh, I, let's say, hypothetically, I'm pro-life, you know, more considered to be a conservative uh, type of viewpoint, Republican viewpoint. Then, like, where's the profile picture that says I support life and I believe in life? You know, right. wh- where where's that? Like, how come you give Democrats these rainbows and you don't give me like, if what's more beautiful than life and supporting pro life? And you're not giving me any way to express that. So, like, I I could definitely see the the argument that it's one sided. Um, and I'm not trying to cherry pick what party is smarter or better than the other or whatever. I do think it's interesting to to have to call in all these conservative journalists and uh, and talk to them and stuff. And it, I think it is probably frustrating for, for people in the conservative media because they sort of feel like they're writing articles, you know, they're posting content and they want clicks and hits. They're trying to stay in business and they can't get hits if these articles yeah. don't surface. So for them, it's not even just about, hey, you're going to give more votes to Bernie and Hillary. It's it's like, I'm going to not be able to stay in business if you guys don't help me surface my content. And I'm, and, you know, and, and actually, it, it seemed to me that I was reading a little bit about these people who visited Facebook for this thing. And I don't think they were super like extremists. You know, there are some websites on all ends of the political spectrum that are kind of like, you know, extreme and kind of not very well regarded right, as yeah. a journalistic integrity or whatever. But these are just my more like, you know, maybe a site like the Wall Street Journal, which leans right, leans right. conservative. And they're like, you don't share any Wall Street Journal articles or I don't know what. It's just a ex- hypothetical example. Right. But like, you know, if you don't surface that, then our website doesn't get any traffic because you guys have become this really important source of traffic. And uh, I don't know. It is interesting. Like, I wonder if you apply the same sort of arg- argument to Google. 
like if you said, look, Google does PageRank, and PageRank is based on what people link to and what people click on, and more, more of the people who are posting links and clicking on things are clicking on Democrat things. So therefore, the top hits for these search terms are coming up with Democrat websites. Would the companies be upset? I don't know if it's exactly the same, but I think the difference would be if humans went through the list and then picked what to surface, and then they picked the Democrat ones, then you'd say, uh-oh, the moment you had those people jump in there, right? that's when you suddenly are culpable and you should maybe think about this more, you know? Right, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like, I, I think, because I think the conversation's still going on now. Um, uh, I think they, ah, uh, so, uh, actually, they did announce that today. Uh, they, uh, <laughs> are catching up now, that they did um, respond, Facebook did respond to this saying that they want to retrain some of their, po- uh, their employees and um, change and discon- uh, discontinue some of their practices um, that would result in bias against political bias against conservatives. So. Yeah, I think it's smart to address it now, especially yeah. in, a, in an election year. You know, people's emotions run high. And um, I do think that there's a bigger conversation that maybe is too big for our podcast. That's like the kind of echo chamber factor of Facebook where you right. you only friend people who agree with you. And then you say, ah, oh, that guy's a, a Democrat and he's talking about Bernie. I'm so sick of hearing him. I'm going to unfriend him or ah, she's always going on about how she likes Trump. I don't want to see that. I'm going to unfriend her. And like Facebook kind of amplifies this idea that we could just only hear what we want to hear and only listen to what we want to listen to. And then increasingly, we aren't really familiar with the other points of view. And I think that that could be a, an issue, right? And and uh, even if Facebook is totally blind to it and just lets the content fall where it may, it, it, I think it can have a hand in that That sort of, that I think that can lead to people to be more extreme and more um, separate from each other. And I don't really know what's to be done about something like that. But I do have I do worry about that where I feel like my friends who have different views really seem to be very divergent from each other. Um, maybe it's always been that way, but I don't think Facebook is necessarily helping people become more moderate politically. If you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's tricky. <laughs> I don't know. It's tricky because I think um, at a high level, I want to be able to say that everyone, you know, yes, in general, I think we should work toward working to get together. Um, but then, yeah, when you, I mean, I think of like, okay, just aside from like polit- uh, politics per se, like taking back to tech, um, it's sort of like, I agree that as engineers, we should work together and strive toward an optimal solution or something. Um, but sometimes you work with engineers who for reasons completely unrelated to solutions are going to be discriminatory, right? Like, um, and so they're going to, advocate for things that don't make sense or they're not going to be willing to communicate or learn or um, because of, you know, their own biases, be there like, you know, just stubbornness, like technical, technical stubbornness that like, oh, I prefer, you know, um, tabs over spaces or whatnot, you know, like, just like, I'm mean, not saying like has to be big, but like things like that where it's like, hey, in abstract, yes, working toward the optimal solution is a good idea, but um, and it's what we should strive for. But like, there are certain things that I'm not going to <laughs> budge on. Like, I'm always going to use uh, space spaces and not tabs, I guess. Or um, I-, I don't know. I-, I think sometimes also there is a correct like with engineering. Sometimes there is a better solution than others that, um, and you can't get agreement on that, even though there is a correct version and a in less correct version. I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking too vaguely to make sense, but um, well, I think... Well, Victoria, we were just talking about politics and religion, but nobody listening really got worked up and offended until you brought up tabs versus <laughs> <laughs> That's the true right. topic. At Thanksgiving for computer scientists, the one topic you don't bring up is tabs versus spaces <laughs> followed closely by Emacs versus Vim. Oh, man. Yeah, see, that's another one. I'm never going to use Emacs. I'm always using Vim, but anyway... <laughs> How do you well, come to agreement on issues like this? I think you're you're uh, squelching Emacs related news uh, segments right. from, this, from this podcast. You're going to have to invite all the Emacs people in to air their dreams. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so I think that is going to wrap up our news roundup. Um, those are some of the biggest stories we had. Too much to cover this episode, and we're going to have to just start doing this more regularly. I think. Because yeah, that's right. I feel like we got rest- or I feel like I got rusty. Um, <laughs> you're, <laughs> rusty. Yeah, the rusty usual. Talking about stuff. We're fine. Right. <laughs> Listen, the, let's just be frank. We were never <laughs> that good at it before. That's so. true. I felt like I knew sometimes a little 
a little bit more what the story was <laughs> we're supposed to talk about. Yeah. Maybe never I did, or maybe I never did. But well, well, if hey, if you've been a long time listener to this podcast and you've come back after our little hiatus, we appreciate that. We yeah, really thanks for listening. Are, yeah, and uh, you know, share this to your friends and email us a question or send us a question online if you want us to talk about it in a future podcast. We'd be happy to to take questions and and topics from our listeners. So let us know. All right, thanks for listening, guys. We will catch you next week. Yeah, see you next time. Bye.